Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. I want to offer you a very warm welcome. If you have a Bible with you, could you please go to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament and find chapter 11. Chapter 11, we're going to read something from that in just a moment. Luke chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses. Now, if you missed um, last week, which was our first uh, Sunday back, 2020, New Year, we outlined a few things that we were going to be do at this sort of opening of our year together. And we talked about um, the Lord teaching us to pray. We felt this is what God had sort of spoke to us about and put on our heart. And we were going to be focusing on this over um, the first sort of few months of this year. And we were to come with humble expectant hearts to learn from Jesus as the disciples did when they asked him and said, teach us to pray. And we too would come with that same attitude. And what we were going to do is we were going to do a sermon series, which is beginning today, entitled Teach Us to Pray, that we're going to get into. Um, And also we were going to start um, a prayer course, which we were going to run midweek through our life groups that Matt has mentioned. And through that, we would have an opportunity to learn together, talk together, and also to pray together. Now, hopefully, if you are connected to a life group, you went this week. I went this week to my life group. We met Thursday evening, and we started the prayer course, and it was fantastic. We had food, and then we sat and watched the video, which is about 20 minutes long, which is really helpful. And then we had a great chat afterwards, kind of what are our thoughts, and how do we think this, what it meant for us, and some things we had about prayer, things we kind of challenged with, things we were kind of working on, and then we prayed together, and it's brilliant, and we learned in the course about prayer where we are to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up, thank you for those who went, and so it was a brilliant time, and if you missed out on that, I know for Melanie, my wife missed out because I went, she was at home, um, you can catch up uh, with the video online, we put the, um, the links out so you can watch that, our life group leaders put it on our WhatsApp group so you could catch up with that. And so you can keep going. So at the outset of this year, please get plugged into one of our life groups because you are missing out if you're not involved. You're missing out on church community, but you're missing out on what kind of God is saying to us and what we're learning together and what we're doing together. We're doing part two is this week, um, the groups we're meeting and looking at, I think it's the area of adoration um, as we pray together. So please get involved in that. Um, So we've got our sermon series, we've got the prayer course, which we're running midweek, kind of alongside, and they dovetail together nicely. Also, what we're going to do at the outset of each of these sermons is give you some kind of helpful tips or things that we've learned along the way about prayer to help you get into prayer. And so our first tip for this first um, week on Teach Us to Pray is simply this, read books on prayer. Read books on prayer. A good way to help you to pray is to read books that inspire, encourage, and teach you. And I've got a couple here to recommend for you. We're going to be looking at this series uh, mainly at the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get into in a moment. And so if you want to get into that in your own time, I've got a book here called When You Pray. It's, it's called Making the Lord's Prayer Your Own by a guy called Philip Grand Reichen. I read this in preparation 
for this series. Um, I found it super helpful. It's not a long book. It goes through the Lord's Prayer and every kind of part of it sort of unpacks it. What does it mean? What does it mean to us? How does this affect how we pray, how we approach God, etc., etc.? So this is a brilliant one if you want to just get into the Lord's Prayer. If you're more interested sort of in prayer in general, I've got to recommend this one called, simply called Prayer, uh, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God by Timothy Keller. This is another brilliant book um, all about prayer generally, about the necessity in prayer, importance in prayer, how we pray, um, approaching God, all those things. So if you want to read either of these books, grab them online, come, um, and I've also got some copies to give away. So if you're quick, you can come and get two copies of that one and two copies of this one. Please help yourself to those. You've got to be, it always pays to sit at the front. I'm just saying. Well done. So read books on prayer. is a good way to learn about prayer and get into prayer. And so there's a couple there to recommend it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go through it bit by bit. And the Lord's Prayer, as we understand it, was, is probably the most famous prayer in the world, I'd suggest, I've got no explicit data on that, I just imagine it is. For over 2,000 years, millions and millions of Christians have learned and recited this prayer and used it in a way of interacting with God. It's not the only prayer in the Bible. There are many prayers in the Bible prayed by many different people. But this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, was the one given by Jesus himself to his followers in response to a specific question from his disciples, which was, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And so in response to that, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. And if you read your Bible, you will find the Lord's Prayer comes up twice in our New Testament. There are two two accounts of it. One of them is in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And the other one is in Luke chapter 11, which we're looking at now. And if you are really astute, you will notice that they're different in each one. If you read the, uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and you read the Lord's Prayer in Luke, they're slightly different. In Matthew's gospel, the prayer is 57 words long in the original, and in Luke's, it is 38. So Luke's is ever so slightly shorter and so actually the prayer in, on, its, in, on its whole, even in the long version, isn't very long. Now the reason for this, scholars tell us, those who study, is that Jesus most likely taught it more than once. It wasn't just a one-off thing he did in one moment. It was a part of his teaching. And when people would ask him about prayer, this is what he would give to, him, give to his disciples. So it wasn't necessarily exactly the same every time. Also, it points to the fact that it's not a mantra that we should just learn and recite parrot and that be it. Although it's not a bad thing to do that, to learn it and know it. But actually it's something, it's a pattern for prayer. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, not just repeat these few words after me every morning or every evening and you're done. It's more, let me give you a pattern of prayer. How should your prayer life go? How should you approach God? What should you be praying about? Let me teach you into that. And so this is what we have. So if you've got um, Luke 11, I'm just going to read the first few verses to you. So do you want to put them up for me, Joe? It says this, from from verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Okay, this prayer has been a comfort and pattern for believers for a few thousand years now, and I just want to make some observations generally about the prayer. Three things. The first one, this prayer that we can learn and pray frees us from anxiety. Have you ever been concerned in prayer when you've prayed how to do it? What to say? (laughs) Will I get it right? Who am I actually talking to when I pray? Those kind of questions buzz around in our mind. This prayer teaches us very clearly who we're praying to and also what to pray. It covers all areas of our lives, from God's kingdom coming in all its power and glory and what that means, to the food that we have on our table for lunch and that just keeps us going through the day. It is an all-encompassing prayer. It also covers our past, our present, and our future. This prayer goes right back into the past about our sin forgiven, being adopted into God's family and recognizing him as our father. It deals with the present and our need for protection from the enemy, for food on our plate, and for forgiveness of our sin that we commit on a daily basis. It also looks to the future and the fact that one day God's kingdom will come in its fullness and God's glory will be seen by everyone. And actually, this prayer will then actually no longer be needed because everything will have come to fulfillment as God had said it would. So it is a freeing prayer. It removes anxiety and worry from us in how we actually go about interacting with God and praying. The second thing this prayer does is it reveals God's heart. It reveals his priorities. What God values is revealed in this prayer. What God would want us to value is revealed in this prayer. It begins with God, the prayer, the starting prayer, and then us. It starts with us talking to him as our father. It then moves on to his glory, his name, and his kingdom, and then what we need in our life. We need provision, we need pardon, and we need protection. And that's what it covers. So it shows God's priorities for him and for us and how we interact with him. It's also a family prayer. It's a family prayer. God loves family. He loves his family. It begins with him as our father. That's where it starts. And if you notice, if you read the prayer, if you've got one of those Bibles you can circle and underline bits, note how many times it says us and our, and it doesn't say I or me. I read somewhere once that the most popular word in the English language is I, because we're selfish creatures by nature. We like to talk about us and I and what I want and what I need. This prayer does not have that. It is a family prayer. It is about us and our. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You cannot pray this prayer individualistically. It won't let you. 
You can't make this prayer all about me because actually you have to pray for us and our. It's wider than just my needs and what I want. It is so much broader than that. It's about the family. When we pray this prayer, we have to have a care and concern for others, brothers and sisters in Christ, how we pray. So that reveals God's heart for his family. The third thing it reveals or it shows us is it allows us to partner with God, which when you think about it and step back, that's pretty mind-blowing. The God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in space and keeps them on their courses, the one who, who makes our very bodies work and the cells act together and even the breath in our lungs now going in and out, God controls all of that. He says, I want you to partner with me on what I'm doing in this earth and this is how. Pray this prayer. When we get to pray this way, we get to pray into God's will. This is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for this world. It is full of active verbs that God desires. He's talking about his name being hallowed, his kingdom coming. He's talking about giving us our daily bread and forgiving us our sins and leading us not into temptation. God's heart. Have you ever wondered what is God's will? This prayer reveals it for you. This is what God wants. He wants his name to be holy. He wants his kingdom to come. He wants you to have what you need to do life, not your greed, but your need. He wants to forgive you for your sins and he wants to protect you from the enemy and his servants, their works and effects. This prayer also reminds us that he is the one who has the power to answer it. He is not some kind of guru dispensing knowledge and says, do this, but actually has nothing to back it up. He is not an impotent God. He is, has all power and all authority. He is the one who rules and reigns from heaven. And it probably makes you kind of understand why people put the ending on the prayer. Did you notice in that section I, that the prayer I read out, it didn't have the ending? Did anyone sit there and go, the ending was missing from the prayer? You'll find it in Matthew as well. The ending's missing. And that's because the bit that we think is the ending, if you know the Lord's Prayer, the prayer ends, for yours is the the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Which is a cracking way to end a prayer, but it's actually not in here. But it was added later after the prayer. I think people kind of got to the end and realized that God was awesome, God amazing, this is what we're doing. And they thought, we've got to end it in putting it back to God, because that's how it started. So they stuck that on the end, just as a reminder that God is the one who can fulfill this. You pray for these things, you pray for his name to be hallowed and his kingdom to come and provide for you and forgive you and, and protect you and lead you. And, it is, and then at the end, it's like, yes, you can do this, Lord. You have all the power and all authority forever and ever. Amen. And so this prayer is an incredible gift to us, gift to the church from which we have so much to learn. So today we're just going to look at the very first line of the prayer, the very first section of the prayer, and it simply starts with one word in our Luke's one, and that word is Father. Father. At the outset of prayer, in response to the disciples' question to Jesus. They've seen him. He's praying. You pray, Jesus. You go off and pray. We looked a little bit at that last week. You obviously think it's important. You need to teach us to pray. So come on. How do you do it? What's the secret? What do we need to know, Lord? And the first thing he says to us, when you pray, say, colon. <laughs> he didn't say colon, but it's there. He said, Father, that's how you begin. When it comes to prayer, you begin with God as Father. And 
For us now, Christians, if you've been around Christ, um, church and you've known this, it's probably not it's something you're just aware of. But for Jesus at the time, this was a revolutionary statement for him to make in first century Judaism as he was speaking to his followers. Because if you look um, at the Old Testament, bear in mind the size of the Old Testament, all those books, God is actually referred to as Father 14 times, which isn't many in the whole kind of corpus there. And considering how many times he's mentioned as holy or powerful or sovereign, but he is mentioned as father. But in every way, he is mentioned as father over the nation of Israel, over millions of people, a kind of very sort of up there distance. He's father over everything. But then Jesus takes that concept and says, when you pray, you approach him personally as your father. That's how you bring it, bring it to kind of... That's how you make it real for yourself. God is your father, which would have just blown their minds. Well, well, God's kind of the father of all of us, and he's up there, but actually, no, he's your. He's your father, and you relate to him. That's how we're going to be begin prayer. He is personal as our father. And Jesus, if you study the Gospels, he refers to God as father over 60 times in the Gospel accounts. If you read them, you'll come again and again. It's probably a study to do. Read them and just underline every time Jesus refers to God as Father. And in every case, he refers to him as a personal, intimate relationship as God, as our Father, as your Father, as you relate to him, is prayer. So when we think about prayer and Lord teach us to pray, we need to start at the beginning. And the beginning is Jesus says, when you approach God, you approach him as your Father. Now, this truth of God as our Father can be colored by our earthly experiences, because all of us have had or have fathers, biologically speaking. We've all, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be here without them. We are here, and their influence on our lives is utterly huge. The, the, um, they can put good things into our lives. They can put bad things into our lives. Some of us have had very good experiences of fathers who've been present and affectionate and have provided for us and have taught us and cared for us and just been around, even, even disciplined them, but you disciplined us, but you know this because they love us and they want us to stay on the straight and narrow and they want us to learn. They want us to go a bad path. We have fathers who's good that and we look to and we thank God and say thank you for our example of our earthly father and how they've been good to us. But at the same time, some of us have had experiences of father which is just poor, some downright evil. We've had fathers who are absent, who are distant, who are critical, abusive. Some I've, had, I've not known our fathers because they may have passed away many, many years ago. And all these things affect us and color us when we come to look at God as our father. But whatever our earthly experiences, however good they've been, however difficult they've been, the truth is that we have a heavenly father and he loves us and he is good and he is perfect and he is for us and he wants to know us. He wants to have a relationship. He wants us to come to him and pray and talk to him and begin with father. Now you might ask the question, okay, then what is our heavenly father like? Well, Jesus said very simply in John 14, 9, he said this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how do we know what the Father's night? Well, we can take a very long look at Jesus. 
Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, demonstrated the Father to us. He showed us his love, his sacrificial love that went to the cross. He showed his care for his people. He showed provision. He showed his awesome power and authority in healing sickness and casting out demons and raising the dead. He showed his commissioning power of sending the Holy Spirit on the church that was then birthed and grew and multiplied throughout the Roman world and now all over the world. And this is the God that we come to. This is our Father in heaven. And also the Bible then outlines this. It expands this. It says, God is our Father. Because as Christians, as believers, if you're a Christian here, the Bible says you've been adopted into God's family. It says you are his child. You, have, you are a child of God. We are the children of God. And this is true for all believers everywhere. Whether you've been a believer a matter of moments or you've been a believer for 50 years plus. Whether it happens here in the enlightened, educated West or in some kind of third world nation where they don't even have running water. If you know God and you confess your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it says he is your father and he loves you and he is part of your family. And so what does this mean for us as we pray? Well, there's two truths I just want to outline with us, outline today, that if God is our Father, what does this mean for us as we approach Him in prayer? The first one is that we can come with confidence, and the second one is that we come with reverence. The first one, if God is our Father, we can come to Him with confidence. I am a father, I have two children, um, two little boys, uh, currently 10 and 7, um, and when they come to me, they come with confidence. They come with confidence <laughs> bordering on presumption, even arrogance. When they come to me, they know I am daddy, and they expect me to be able to do certain things. They have absolutely no qualms about when they come to me, or what they demand of me, or what they expect of me, they just come and bring it to me. Even how they bring it sometimes lacks finesse. <laughs> they just come with boldness and confidence and speak, often at high decibels, often without a prefix of just, Dad, can I? Or just, it's just the demand comes out or the expectation comes out and they speak to me like that. It is outrageous in the extremes sometimes. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And as children of God, we can come to our Father in heaven with that attitude. We can come with such boldness and confidence to make outrageous requests of Him. In fact, He even asks us to do that. It says in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us, interesting again, the plural there, let us then with confidence, some translations say boldly, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As children of God, we are to run to our Heavenly Father. We are to come boldly and outrageously into His presence and make our demands, our requests 
before him. It is something that we should not hold back on. It is not something that we should feel timid or intimidated about. In fact, the very opposite. We should feel empowered. And the good news is about a heavenly father, unlike earthly fathers who are flawed and imperfect. We do not have to wait in line. We do not have to go and find him. I'm physically removed from my children now, so they can't make a request to me at this moment. We don't have to do that with the Heavenly Father. We do not have to check what mood he's in. First thing in the morning is not a good time to make bold requests of me. I'm just putting that out there. I'm just not in the best place. God doesn't have a first thing in the morning problem or attitude. He, you can come to him Anytime. You do not have to wait to check if he is in a good mood. You do not have to wait to check if he is listening. Is he on his phone and his attention's there and you're trying to talk to him and you're trying to say, hey, God, listen to me? You don't have to worry about that. God is attentive to our prayers and he will listen to us. And this is for all of us. It's not just for special super Christians who've been there a while, passed their exams, got good grades, and now they can come boldly before God. All of us can. The longer version of this prayer doesn't begin, Father. How does it begin? It begins, our Father. Our Father. That's all of us. There is no first and second class believer, no first and second class Christian. It doesn't matter what kind of week you had, what kind of morning you had, how you've lost it with people or just not picked up your Bible or whatever this week. You can come boldly before your Father in heaven and make requests of him, start speaking to him, start pouring out your heart on him. It is not based on merit. It is not based on anything you've done. You haven't earned this. You're not better than him. This is only based on one thing, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because none of us can contribute to that, we all stay in the same place and we can all come to God at the same level. So we are to come with complete boldness before him. Come and speak to him anytime, any place, no matter what's going on. In quiet moments when we're alone or in the midst of chaos of life and work and family and children, we can come before him. The second thing we are to do is we are to come with, to him with reverence. The reason we are to come with reverence is because of who he is. In the long version of this prayer, in Matthew's gospel, it doesn't just begin Father. It begins, Our Father in heaven. If you're old school like me, it was who art in heaven. Anyone art in heaven here? He's been, yeah. I always wonder what, God, what art God was doing in heaven. I really do. When I used to learn that, I think, is he like painting? Is he just doing, what? Do I have to get, no. Old, old English language. Our Father in heaven. That reminds us when we pray to whom we are speaking. We are speaking to the one who dwells in unapproachable light. The one who rules and reigns in majesty and splendor. The one who the seraphim fly round and scream, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The heaven and earth are full of his glory. This is the one we come to. And so as we come to him, we come to him with this reverence and respect, which is quite totally removed from our human kind of examples. He is transcendent. He is other. He is above us. He is greater than us. He is awesome and mighty and worthy of our honor and respect. The Bible uses the word often, the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord is an awesome reverence and respect we are to have for who he is. 
for who he is, just in his nature and his character. And the Bible is full, time and time again, of describing him with sovereign power and glory and authority. And the word that comes up most often is holy. In sheer tonnage, God is described as holy more than anything else in the Bible. Holy means he is other, he is set apart, he is not like us, he is removed from us. We cannot understand that, we cannot get close to that. We are the opposite of that what he is. And so he is awesome and mighty. And so when we approach him, we approach him with respect for who he is. Now, there's a little bit of um, been some kind of different thoughts on this over the years. When Jesus used the word father um, in, the, um, in the Lord's Prayer, the word he used was um, Aramaic. I believe Jesus spoke Aramaic, even though our New Testaments were written in Greek. And the word he used was a Swedish pop band, which was Abba. Abba. That was Abba Father. That was it. Sometimes it, it makes it into worship songs. Abba. That was the word he used to describe Father, which was, we're told that this was a word that children used to uh, approach their father, Abba. But it's also a word that adults used to approach their father. So it's not a childish word. It was a word used um, to refer to and speak about your father, Abba. And what we find in our New Testament, we find this word comes up. Sometimes in our English translation, it even has that word Abba there. But what that word is often followed by, in fact, I think it's always followed by, when you read it, it says Abba, Father, which was the Greek word Peter. So it was Abba, Aramaic, Peter, Greek. And so the reason they were both used was to get the idea across that you referred to him as your father, and there was an intimacy to that, but there was also an awesome respect because he was your father. Which means for us, our best English translation isn't daddy, which is a wonderful word if you have small children and they call you that, but actually that can lack the reverence of it. Our best English translation is probably dear father, which comes together the intimacy of who he is. He is your dad and he loves you and for you, but also recognizes his position as your father and authority in his life. So as we approach God, we can come with confidence that he, is, he loves us, he's for us, he wants relationship, he wants intimacy with us, but at the same time, he is glorious and mighty and majestic and above everything, and we are to take that as well. So we have this wonderful position with God as our Father. He, we are to come with him in confidence because he loves us in form, but we're also to come with him at great, with great reverence. So you can look at it at two ways. You can come from one end and say, this is the God of heaven. He is awesome and powerful and mighty, and he's my father. Wonderful news. Or you can start with, he's my father. He loves me. He's gracious. He's caring. He's kind. And he's the God of heaven and rules everything. Either way works as long as we get both of them together. So what does that mean for us if God is our father? Well, it means that we can approach him anytime any place and speak to him and it means that whatever we ask for him he has the power to answer he has the power to answer he is a sovereign deity he is the sovereign deity and so when we come to him and we ask for his name to be hallowed his kingdom to come when we ask provision of our daily bread and pardon from our sin and protection from the enemy he is the one who can answer that he is the one who has the power to do that and he loves us cares for us, and is willing to work on our behalf. All right, a few bits of application, and then we will finish. Three things. 
bit of application for us. First one, join the family. Join the family. If you are sitting in this room and you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, you haven't made that commitment of faith, I stand here today and I urge you to join God's family. To join God's family. We believe Jesus is who he said he was. He is God the Son come to earth, both fully God and fully man, completely perfect in all his ways. The Bible said he is sinless. He never did anything wrong. We believe that he demonstrated God's power and authority in the kingdom by healing the sick and raising the dead and proclaiming the good news. Then he died in our place for our sins on the cross. He was dead. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose bodily from death. He was seen by his followers, many hundred at one time. And then he ascended into heaven and he rules and reigns with the Father. And one day he will come in glory to judge all mankind, the living and the dead. And he calls as king of creation and everything in it for all men and women to come to him and repent of their sins. Repent just merely means turn away. Recognize all the things we've done to belittle him, to ignore him, to spurn the great good gifts he's given us. And we put our faith and trust in him. And if you're a believer, that's what you've done. If you're not a believer, you haven't done that. And if you want to know God as your father in heaven, that's the way to do it. That's the only way to do it. That is the only way to come to your Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, drawn by the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you today to take that seriously. Talk to one of us at the end about what that means. We would love to introduce you to our Lord and Savior and your Father in heaven. If you are a believer here, I encourage you, join the family. The idea of a Christian being a lone Christian, devoid from God's people, is alien to the Bible. You will not find it in there. I recognize some place in the world where there are no believers. You might be on your own because it's a closed country. That's not our problem here. We don't have that. If you're a believer here in this nation, there are many, many local churches that you could be a part of. And your call, your responsibility before God is to join one and be part of that family, a place where you are known and you get to know others. And so if you are uh, in this area, we'd love you to have you as part of this family. If this isn't the family for you, we'd love to direct you, help you, push you towards another family that you can get involved in. But you need to join the family. Having God as your father is a given, but the prayer points to our and us again and again and again. And if you're going to pray those prayers with any kind of integrity... It's not just praying for the believers out there around the world of which there are millions. It's the ones that you know and you live with and you do life with and you meet with on a Sunday and you meet with midweek and you're kind of just walking through life together. So you need to be part of a local church and be fully involved in what they're doing. We have options here for you to get involved. We have our Sunday meeting. We've had Life Group, which we've mentioned several times. It's our way of caring for you, looking after you, being part of our community. Get plugged into that. Another good way, serve the local church you're a part of, whatever it is. Just get involved. Give your skills. Give your talents to what it is. Any pastor, any leader who says, I want to help out here would love you and say, yeah, we've got lots of opportunities for you just to serve and get involved in what's going on. So join the family, whatever it is, wherever it is, get plugged into your local church where you are. The second thing, check your thinking. Check your thinking. 
when we come to look as God as, as our Father, we cannot help be influenced by our own personal experiences. It's just, it's just the way it is. And so as we look at this afresh and say, okay, we're, gonna, we're starting this journey on prayer and we've got to begin with God as Father, how are you doing? How do you view God? Are poor experiences can cause us to look at God as absence and distance and critical and harsh and unfair, unloving, abusive, cruel, unkind? Even our good examples are all flawed. They are all perfect. As much as I try to be a decent example for my kids, they're going to need something in the future <laughs> to work through because something I've said and done in anger or just through negligence of my own part because I will demonstrate something for to them. So even us who've had good experiences need to think about how we view God. We are tempted to view God how we've experienced it ourselves. Some of us just have a frankly immature view of God. We think God is some person in the sky who will do whatever we want when we want. And if we don't get what we want when we want it, we throw a hissy fit, a paddy, spit our dummy out of the pram. And it's like, God, you didn't answer that. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. And when you step back and look at that, that would be ridiculous. If any earthly parent, father or mother did everything a child wanted when they wanted, can you imagine the chaos that would be? My kids would have a lot more chocolate for most meals. They would stay up way past bedtime and be ratty, small demons. Um, and that's just the way it is. So God isn't like that. God doesn't give us what we want when we want it. He gives us what we need and what's best for us and to grow us. And so actually our view of God can be changed by our own immaturity towards him. And so as a result of that, Whatever your experience of God, whatever, sorry, whatever your experience of your human fathers, don't let it influence how you view God. So how do we kind of go about that? Well, the best way to do is go back to our Bibles, start reading it, read some verses, things that describe God, what he's like as a father. We've got the story of the prodigal sons, a good place to start. Look at that and study how God acts as a father. You've obviously got Jesus who said, look at the, me. You've seen the Father, see how he acts, get some truth in you, and use that to combat lies. If you think God is harsh and distant and doesn't care about it, you replace that with the truth that actually he loves me, he's for me. Write down Bible verses and say them daily until the truth drives out the lies. I've had to do this over the time when I've kind of wrestled with this. Even in my own kind of prep, I've had to stop, sit back, remind myself, actually, this is what my Father in heaven's like. He's not like that. I need to change my heart, change my attitude, repent of some of my poor thinking on this. And I need to look at him afresh and be reminded that I, he is my father. I am his child. I have been adopted into his family. I have free access to him at any time. I can approach him with confidence and boldness and make requests, not just for myself, but my family, my friends, this church. This is what I can do. The final one. Enjoy the privilege. Enjoy the privilege. Being God's child is the greatest privilege ever. It is the greatest privilege that not only will last throughout this life, but into eternity. Being completely secure in God's love for us, 
his adoption for us, his care for us, his saving of us that will last beyond this life, beyond death, into eternity, to a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more suffering and no more tears and no more sickness and no more death. And we will be with him and his people forever, exploring the new creation. Being in his presence is an absolutely wonderful thing. And as children on earth now, I think we should enjoy that privilege. Dare I say, I think we should abuse that privilege. We should make full use of it every day of our lives. As we come together as God's family on his day, and we worship together, it's an opportunity to enjoy his presence, enjoy singing his praises, learning from his word, being with one another. And as we go out from here into our week and all the busyness of that that hits us in work and family and life, we are to enjoy that privilege that we are God's children. We can come to him every day, at the beginning of every day, and pray and say, God, thank you that you are with me. This is what's coming up. Let me bring it to you. Thank you that you are going to lead me and guide me and provide for what I need. Use me to see your kingdom come, to make your name holy wherever I go. What a wonderful, incredible place to be. We're going to finish now. We're going to make use of this truth and we're going to enjoy being in God's presence with our Father. We're going to worship Him. We're going to recognize who He is. Who he is. The band want to come back up. We're going to do all that. We're going to have an opportunity. And as we do that, I'm just going to start with prayer. It's always a good place. And I'm going to pray that we get to enter into God's presence now. That we that we get to meet with him afresh. I'm going to pray that God does stuff in our hearts even as we worship and maybe he'll speak to us and we'll get into doing some specifics that actually our view of God will be again transformed, will again be refined. Things that have crept in that we thought actually God isn't like that. We've been believing that lie. We'll go and truth will come in and take that away. So do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. And we're going to worship as family. And we're going to worship together. This is about us and our, not me and I. Do you want to just close your eyes? Lord God, I want to stand here and say thank you that you are our Father. Lord God, that you are the Father of your family. Lord God, and we thank you that you know each of us individually, intimately, personally. You know everything that's going on in our lives, everything that's going on with us, everything that's happening. Lord God, I want to thank you that you love us now. Lord God, we thank you like any good earthly father just loves their kids and loves being with their kids. That's how you feel about us, only a thousandfold more. <laughs> thousandfold greater. Thank you, God, that no matter what our earthly experience of Father is, you are bigger and greater than that. Lord Jesus, I pray, I ask that you would come and you would fill us with your spirit now, that we would know that we are your children, that we would cry out, Abba, Father, because your spirit is in us. Lord God, I pray you would take our fallen minds and you would renew them afresh by your word and see you as our good Father, 
who loves us, who is for us, who forgives us, who welcomes us in, who is always there for us. He's never too busy, never too kind of distracted. He's never harsh or critical with us or abusive to us. He wants good things for us, Lord. And I pray as your people today that we would enjoy the privilege of being your children just because it's good and just because you're good. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you and we praise you. God's people said. Amen.